Hi, I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. In today's episode of Negotiation in Real Life, I speak with Virginia Walker, the founder of Transformation Journey. Virginia is a mentor, author, and speaker. Her abiding passion is enabling workplaces where people learn, grow, and thrive. This passion was ignited at the age of 16 when her first job as a trainee accountant transformed her life. 30 years of senior leadership experience in companies including Commonwealth Bank, Hewlett-Packard, and IBM have honed Virginia's understanding of one of the most challenging things an organization can do, radically reform the way it does business. Practicing as an executive coach and mentor, she wrote The Truth About Transformation. In this book, Virginia shares 10 key myths every leader must know to survive their transformation project, helping leaders demystify and deal with the challenges they are likely to face. Virginia now combines her significant financial pedigree and deep understanding of industry disruption and organizational change to work with CEOs of NDIS service providers who want to lead purpose-driven organizations that thrive. In this episode, we chat about the importance of understanding perspectives, the challenge of an imbalance in knowledge, working to become a desired business partner, how to learn through observing others, negotiating with multidisciplinary teams and across cultures, why attention to detail is important in negotiations, how to respond where a bad deal has been done, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Welcome to the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, Virginia. It's a pleasure to be here, Nicole. Excellent. Now, we had a lovely chat the other day, sort of getting to know each other and finding out a little bit about you. And I think there's going to be some fantastic things about the various experiences that you've had of negotiation. But before we get into that, can you just introduce yourself to the audience? Thank you. So I'm Virginia Walker. I'm a mentor and speaker and coach, also an author, and I specialize in leadership and change. And I work with CEOs, board members and executives of not-for-profits who want to lead happy people, be financially secure and live their purpose. Fantastic. Now, I know you've had a fairly senior level career prior to coming into the work that you're doing now, and that's given you some exposure to a wide range of negotiations. Tell tell us a little bit about the kinds of negotiations that you've been involved in over your career. So I, I started my life as an accountant and the world of sales and, you know, people who negotiated transactions or deals I always thought they were like different people you know they were had different backgrounds and different personalities and and as I um as I moved my, through my career I I worked along some uh, alongside some salespeople I went I could do that oh my word I could do that and so I ended up doing that I ended up moving into sales roles 
Um, so I won't go into my career at the moment, but I, uh, I, I spent quite some time in the IT industry and then I moved into the IT outsourcing industry. And obviously the um, negotiations, the deals that are in that industry are significant. They are multi, often multi-year, you know, five years, 10 years, and involve usually the ones I was involved in millions, if not tens, and sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. So there was a lot to learn in the world of negotiation around outsourcing. And, uh, you know, we've talked to, we, uh, we did speak a little bit about what you learn. I guess the other thing I, I learned through my sales roles and that experience is how you personally negotiate, you know, what you take into a personal situations. So there's a whole lot of everything from negotiating for my own positions to um, being part of a big team, uh, putting together uh, deals in the hundreds of millions. So, yes, lots of negotiation over my career. Absolutely. And so when you look back to some of those earlier roles, some of those earlier sales roles where you had to negotiate and perhaps didn't have so much of a background in that space, were there any particular learning moments that stood out or negotiations that perhaps didn't go quite according to plan? Well, I was I was extraordinarily lucky that one of the reasons I moved into the sales roles was because I was in a finance role working with um, a sales manager. And we had somebody in the corporate world who was being very stroppy and, you know, very uncooperative. And so we had to go in and say, look, we, we can't really work with, with what you're saying. We're going to have to go above your head, basically, because we need to get a resolution. And basically, he, he, this um, particular manager let me have that conversation. And he walked out, uh, we walked out of it and he said, that was a good sales call. And I, at the time, I went, what are you talking about? He goes, no, you, you like, it was a good sales call. You, you said what you needed to say, um, but you didn't leave him in the corner. You, don't, you didn't leave him needing to defend his position. You allowed him to have his position, um, and, but you just let him know you didn't agree with it. And, that's a, and so I guess that, you know, somewhat set of tone for all negotiations. And to this day, I say to people who I, you know, who I mentor and I coach, I mean, don't put people in a position where they have to defend. Absolutely. Do anything you can <laughs> to not go there because when people go in to defend and fear brain, as we now know, you're not going to get a win-win outcome. You're not going to get a great, um, uh, uh, yeah, there won't be a great negotiation. There won't be because that person's just trying to stop you, making them feel defensive and not good enough mm. absolutely that psychological element of how they leave the negotiation feeling is really important isn't it and recognizing that people want their opinions respected even if you can't work with them so I think that's really important and whether it's um, you know conflict or whether it's some other sort of more proactive negotiation that ability you know William Urey talks about building a golden bridge um, for the other side you know how do you actually create that sense that even if they don't get what they want they can leave with their head held high yeah I love a golden bridge I'll remember that yes thank you <laughs> thank you yes I absolutely subscribe to that is there anything particular that you do when you're in a negotiation 
to help. I mean, because it's that great idea of, you know, I need to help that person save face or, you know, give them that sense of being heard as well. What are some of the techniques that you use? So I I might go back to my earlier, um, you know, experience in sales where I had a little rule for myself where I wouldn't speak for the first 15 or 20 minutes. If it was like an hour on call, I wouldn't, you know, I, I would... I would acknowledge be active listening, but I would not be thinking about what I wanted to say. <laughs> and what I found was the power of you then got to understand where the other person was coming from, you know, and then you, you realize that I use this little diagram and it's a very simple diagram where, you know, you, you think we're taking someone from A to B. Right. So there's this straight line and you're trying to get them, you know, in any negotiation or any conversation, often we're trying to get someone from A to B. And as I said to a boss many, many years ago, I said, and what if they're not at A? (laughs) (laughs) What if they're not at A? And so so we need to check where people are before we try and get them from A to B. So I'm saying if they're over at C, then, you know, you've got to work out how to get them from C to B. And, and I was talking to this particular person the other day and I said, I think you're really good at working out there at C. But then what I observe, and I could be wrong, is you're trying to get them back to A so you can get them to B. <laughs> you know, could you come and see it from my perspective so I can get you over there? Whereas that, you know, letting go of that, um, that position and just letting go of it yes. and working out that you, you, in the end, if you want the outcome you want, if B is what you want, and, and you think you might be able to get them to be, then go over to see and see what it looks like over there. I think that's so right, isn't it? You know, and, and that central idea that we've just got to understand that everybody's perspective is different. And, you know, it's not about going one of those perspectives is right or wrong. They just are. They just exist. And until you understand those perspectives, it's very difficult to move a negotiation forward and, and trying to force somebody to your perspective as you said you know I think it comes back to that basic each and every force has an equal and opposite reaction so the more I push you to come to my perspective the more you push back and the irony is often what you want the other person or the other side or the other part of the negotiation will let you have if you give something else up (laughs) yes yeah so that we often think there's this just direct relationship between what we want and and what they want and it's just either I'll win or you'll win whereas you know as I I know you will know that every negotiation has these range of things that we want as individuals organizations and the party win negotiation has a range of things that they want as individuals or, or or as a negotiation or as an organization and so if you can if you can play those pieces intelligently then you can all come out feeling like you've got the wins that you needed for this to be um, a good outcome. Absolutely. And, you know, as you said, if you spend the first period of of a negotiation, you know, whether that's 15 minutes of an hour meeting or whether it's one meeting out of a series of meetings, just understanding where they're coming from, you can identify more and more of those sources where there might be some flexibility. And I think, you know, rather than just what they've told you, which, you know, so often we're in a hurry, we only tell people the top level, um, but we've got to dig down further and and we've got to do that from our own perspective as well to really understand where we've got the trade-off ability as well. And and what I've also uh, what I also found is that 
you can be in a position, um, you know, I've been in a position where uh, I or the people we're working with, we, act, we actually understand more of the subject matter that we're negotiating with the client. So for example, in IT outsourcing, you know, we we understand quite a lot of what works and what doesn't work. And, and so the client may not have that knowledge or experience. Yeah. And so expecting them to be able to articulate what they want really um, precisely was is actually unreasonable. So I love what you're saying that you have to hear with your you have to hear with your broader perspective, with your broader understanding, so you can help them get to a place where they go, yes, actually, that's what I want. And perhaps reframe a conversation. I mean, that happened um, for the purposes of, um, uh, of uh, not disclosing a party. But I was negotiating, I was, in, I was heading up a negotiation um, with a fairly significant organization uh, in the private sector. And they were not that experienced in the outsourcing world, yeah. Uh, and so they they were trying to they were trying to get all these pieces at different prices, and they were kind of negotiating piecemeal, right? And we we're like, can't like, you know, but this is not going to work. Like we're all going to end up and you know just spiraling down a, 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 a what's the word um, a combative uh, relationship. So. You know, I, I reframe the conversation that says, if we can, if if we can get better understanding of what's really important to you, and then we put something to you that we think will achieve that, could we start there? <laughs> and then we, and then we we'll start there, so that we're we're closer to being on the same page of what a good outcome is for both of us, and then we can then we can negotiate on the on the edges. Yeah, we can negotiate, but we're not trying to find the core of where we um, of where we meet. And then another diagram I draw is like two circles with you know, an overlapping bit. And I'm like, so if you can find the overlap in a negotiation, if you can find the bit where you both want the same, you, you're both going to get something out of it, you know, that there is this sweet spot of a deal. And I used to, I used to, you know, after a while you've got you got to kind of listen to probably the wrong word, but you got your your intuition at some point when this is this deal has a sweet spot. We will now persevere through the challenges of it because we know what we want from each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We know what we want, and it's quite clear. We want something the other person's got, and they want something or the organization. And once that was clear, the rest of it used to be more. You know, now you were just doing the hard yards. Yeah, you were just going through the stuff. But if that wasn't there, you would I don't think you could ever get to a, a any kind of sound outcome. Mm. Well, it's interesting that example that you've just talked about where there's this real sort of knowledge imbalance. And you know, you you've talked about the client really wanting to have very specific agreements around each element. You know, and once again, I think coming back to going, well, what's the underlying fear or concern that they've got in requiring that, which is you know, presumably it was something around not being taken advantage of, making sure they're only paying for what they need because they don't understand the entire market and how it all fits together. So, you know, yeah. once again, I always think, you know, every objection is an opportunity to ask a question about why they don't like that so that you can really understand those deeper needs. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think you, 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 you pull out of that a really powerful concept of understanding what the fear is for that other party you know what and 
and we don't tend to um, we don't tend to focus on where we have power. Yeah, we don't we don't we we're quite casual with it where we have it right, <laughs> and uh, and we don't realise when it's it's creating a reaction in the other person or the other organisation, and then they're trying to defend themselves against it. So I think it's a great it's a great observation. It's like where's what's causing the fear and can you can you can you um play down some of those things can you start talking in simpler language can you start making the examples more relevant to the person can you start explaining what your concerns are in more basic ways you know that so just you get off the power but, but I love that because, you know, it's the difference between having the power and choosing not to use it as a, as a weapon and the difference between having the power, choosing not to use it as a weapon and letting the other side actually know that you're not doing that. And I think often people will go in with that mindset of, well, I'm not here to take advantage just because I've got the extra power, because I've got extra information. I'm not going to use that to the detriment of my counterpart. But if you haven't actually made that explicit to them, they're still acting on that fear. You know, one of the challenges that comes up in so many negotiations is the assumptions that we make about what the other party knows or believes. And if we've got something in our head, but we haven't communicated it, then the assumption on the other side might be something very, very different. Very much so. I was alongside and watched a negotiation where the individuals in the organisation I work for used that power and got a really you know good deal and it doesn't hold so because at some point the other party work out that they didn't get a good deal and now you've broken trust now you've lost trust and the longer the longer the relationship needs to continue the worst the worst the outcome is going to be if you've actually done something to break trust or lose trust and so I guess just seeing that you know fairly close hand that also made me very determined as I well I got involved in other deals that we were doing things to build trust not lose trust yeah well it's interesting because I think one of the things that I've seen and particularly when you get into larger corporates like I know your experience has been is um, part of the challenge for the organisations is that there is a whole set of conflicting interests within the organisation. So while the organisation itself might care about that long-term trust and the long-term relationship, your sales team might care about the short-term goal of getting a sale and not actually care about what the longer-term outcome is. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, there was one rather hysterical time. So I, I once had this role where I was... Uh, I was I headed up the finance team that that worked on these big deals okay and so in that role I used to get the job of signing off the commission sheet for the sales people right so you know so what was the deal signed up at you know what's the margin what was their commission and there was one very um, flamboyant individual who was you know quite charismatic and really thought he was kind of the bee's knees in and in one meeting where he managed to organize a meeting where nobody was with him, which was, you know, we should have just banned that. He, <laughs> he, he, negotiated, he negotiated away in about an hour, the entire profit of the deal. And, <laughs> and, and so, and then I had to fill out the commission sheet because commissions were paid on revenue, right? 
and so I I gingerly picked up this piece of paper between my forefinger and my thumb and I went into the managing director and I went and, and looked the other way and put it on his desk and goes that is for your signature <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like like because he was laughing it wasn't a it wasn't a particularly big deal but the point is luckily you know, just, uh, yes luckily it was uh, oh, just it, and this is this um this is another interesting aspect of negotiation that the person negotiating did not understand what they were negotiating or they didn't because understand their the personal well uh, otherwise it's just because their personal interests were the driving interest I actually understand that it's not as profitable but guess what it doesn't matter to me because I get paid based on revenue not profit yeah, that's right so do I yeah so is that so that's an interesting thing from both to understand that we personally will behave like that because you're right you can't so. stop that sort of behavior I mean when you incentivize people on certain measures yes and I think I think what's really challenging is for organizations to really sit down and understand how they can create interests across the team that are all aligned rather than having these mismatched interests. Yes, yes. Um, yes. And that's that's a big challenge for organisations because equally the levers that you put in to incentivise people have to be within their control. And so if you've yes. got a salesperson who says, I don't control profit, they don't want to be um, rewarded on that. So it's quite interesting but equally I think from the person who's doing the negotiation on the other side knowing those individual drivers can be really used oh. to get the optimal outcome for yourself which clearly happened in that case that's right yeah yeah no great observations great observations yes I saw them <laughs> each way I know you know once again that the industry knowledge that you have of if I'm negotiating with an outsourcing company or if I'm negotiating with um, a particular kind of company how do they work internally the more I know about their internal systems and rewards programs the more information I've got to actually push the right buttons to get a good outcome for myself very much so very much so yeah so I know, uh, Virginia, that you've done quite a bit of negotiating with multidisciplinary teams, international negotiations. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've learned to, to manage in those situations? I, th I think it goes back to one of the points you just mentioned, that probably the hardest thing is not negotiating with the individuals internationally. It's actually negotiating back with your organisation to recognise the reality of what you of what it's going to take um, and so I was in one situation where the organization I worked for was you know large and used to being quite powerful in the negotiations and being wooed and you know fated to, to because people wanted their business um, and this negotiation involved us wanting to form a partner and it was going to be very significant and therefore we had to work out well you know in my mind it was like they had to want us like you know not not we're choosing you <laughs> this had to, <laughs> aren't you lucky <laughs> this was how do we how do we do uh, you know how do how do we become attractive to them how do we work out so it's you know it's a variation we've been talking about but what matters to them and so uh, we were in this large room um, in Germany and 
the uh, the organization was being very polite to us. You know, they were showing us around and um, and we had other business with them. So we, you know, we were customers, but what I was there for was a completely different, um, you know, negotiation, a completely different transaction. And they were kind of like, yeah, yeah, that we'll just kind of pan, you know, we'll kind of make you feel nice that you're here, whatever. And so I was like, well, this is not going well as four of us have flown the other side of the world <laughs> to have a very friendly meeting that's not going anywhere. And so but as I, uh, so we had a, we had a mock-up of, of the thing that we wanted to work with them on. And these guys were engineers, yeah? Um, and so they're, you know, they're, they're about, they're about uh, numbers and they're about um, they're about design and and they you know they they like to see how things work right so so I got this mock-up and I said and I pulled it out and I just said oh we'd like to you know if you're okay I'll just pass this around the room so you can see what we're talking about you know what we want to do together and um, as it as it arrived at the most senior person in the room he held it like a like a you know like a puppy or a kitten <laughs> held it and he looked to his designer next to him he goes be nice to have one of these wouldn't it <laughs> and I'm like yes we just <laughs> we just found that moment you know that spot they they do they would like this right okay all right. So then the conversation could change. You know, then the conversation was like, okay, so if you were to want to do one of those, what would it take? You know, so it. The so it's, whole it's really, system. yeah. If I if I can sort of pull out what's been going on there that you would replicate elsewhere, it's it's about creating that picture for them. So it's it's not doing the hard sell. It's actually creating the desire through putting something in front of them that is attractive and meets their interests um, without even having to tell them how great it is. They just figure it out for themselves. That's right. So it's, it's that whole, it, you know, it's a, it's a classic piece of um, negotiation theory, which is you want a third position. You don't want I win, you lose, you lose, I win, you know, whichever way around it goes. You actually want that third position. Like what do you both, what's win, win? What's it, what, what is a place where you could go to? What's the, thing you would go to that means you both feel like you've won and you know and so that's the that's the underlying theory I guess and so it's it's always about the creativity in the situation what is that third position what is that win-win hmm. now um, you've obviously done some very high value transactions with really significant consequences um, to get to the point where you've been able to do those negotiations, what have you done to improve your own negotiation skills and make sure that you're capable of, of taking on these challenges? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I think I went to a negotiation course back in the 1980s, right? You know, it was like a half day course and I went to it and it was a revelation to me that you wouldn't just ask for what you wanted. So that was the first step. <laughs> that was a revelation. And the rest of it, Nicole, is just hard for trial and error, 
and, and watching other people and watching other people, watching how they position things, how they how they work with complex um, uh, uh, situations, um, uh, the relationships that need to be built for something to move forward. And, you know, that's true in an individual negotiation or a, or a really large scale transaction. You don't, you know, if we stick to business for a moment, you don't business with somebody you don't like or don't trust you know you don't and so and so to think that negotiation can be done in this kind of vacuum that it can be quite sort of clinical or it can be very logical I think that's illusory you know we are we are emotional beings you know we like to kid ourselves that we're not but we are and therefore that relationship building and 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 where that needs to be done and and how you should invest in that and what is going to work for you and the other person you know that's I guess that's where I always start absolutely negotiation would be so much easier if we were negotiating with robots that's right (laughs) (laughs) we would know the moves yeah but it's interesting because it sounds like that sort of observation and, and reflection is is a big part of the learning for you and you know it's one one of the things I'm always encouraging people to do is you know after each negotiation step back and just ask two simple questions what worked well what didn't work so well and why yeah um and that observation and reflection is is critical we've talked about some of the corporate negotiations now I know you do a bit of work in the area with startups and businesses that are perhaps at a, at a smaller level than what you've experienced in your career what's the difference that you see in the negotiations that they're doing to the ones that you were involved in at that very sort of large corporate end a complete lack of attention to detail mainly <laughs> so that'd be one of the biggest problems that you're seeing in negotiations yeah, yeah. it's um a sort of a, a trust that you know that that 60 page document doesn't have anything in it that you would worry about it's like whoa <laughs> so there is uh so i guess it's it's the it's the opposite of a corporate environment where you have a legal team that will go through every you know every word and we don't like that word and this was this is the opposite where i'm going do you think we need to review this document before we agree agree that we're going to commit you know to do something for the next year or the next two years and um and even when someone does read it they read it um in my experience there are many individuals that read it interpreting it how they would want it to work oh that's such an important point isn't it (laughs) and so they're like but when i read that that's what i that's what I read. It's like, well, when I read that, a lawyer could drive a truck through it. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not automatic that it will be interpreted in the way that is being um, done at the moment. And so we might want to do something that's more uh, rigorous, you know, and more uh, has a better, has an example or has an explanation. And so I, I found that it's a, you know, there's the, there's the lack of resources. Um, there's the lack of expertise, which is not surprising. You know, there's many things that you don't get the luxury of knowing or being around when you're in a smaller organisation or a not-for-profit. Um, and those things seem really expensive. And there is a genuine call of, is this something to invest in? Because that's a, that's 
appropriate risk management or is this something where we're going to have to, you know, do the best we can? That's such an important point, isn't it? And that decision about when to invest, not just in the legal side of the negotiations and the deals, but I think it's the negotiations that come before the documentation that are the critical pieces to make sure you get a deal that actually works. And my experience is that either people think that they're perfect at negotiating and, you know, can go through without recognising perhaps some of those gaps or they just don't understand that there are resources available to help you with that negotiation strategy piece where it's going to, as you said, you know, if you're going to be impacted by this for the next couple of years and it's going to largely determine the success of your business, that's where there is. One of the first things I had to deal with as a CEO was a contract that had been signed, hadn't been approved properly. It committed the organisation to something that was really quite unacceptable and basically I negotiated from a position of nothing <laughs> nothing not a leg to stand on you know it's like it's a really bad deal it's like well you've signed it I went so in the end it was like are you really going to enforce this deal and they're like yes and I'm like you know so we we kept going and I just kept talking and I went are you prepared to take us out by enforcing this deal And I just kept going up the organization until, you know, effectively it was pure bluff, but I was like, I think I have no choice. Well, it it sounds like it was a bit of a bit of bluff, but also trying to change their interests into the the relationship interest and and perhaps reputation as well. So, you know, it's always about finding that lever, isn't it? And it's it's like, well, okay, well, you know, if the contract is clear, there's nothing, you know, to be done about the contract. You've got to find other ways of pushing that. And, right. and it sounds like something that worked for you there was also persistence. Oh, oh that's right. And I think you, you, you raise a very important point that I kind of hadn't, hadn't put with that, which is I try to build relationships with the people who were going to enforce it and go, okay, you know, how do we find something out of this? Because we do want, we want something like the thing that we've signed up for, but not, not like that. Yeah, there were some conversations I had with uh, some individuals in my own organization where I literally almost stopped breathing with their, their belief in what they had signed up for, what we had bought and what we had actually bought. The, the gap was extraordinary. <laughs> um, so, yes, that was, a, that was an in-your-face moment of when people don't have the experience um, you know, there is a reason why you have authority limits and areas where you can't sign things because you actually don't know. Yeah. Yes. Don't know what you don't know. <laughs> a very important thing to remember, isn't it? Yes. But also that idea about being, you know, very clear when you're getting to that final agreement, making sure, you know, you've talked about people being able to interpret things in different ways. You know, you want something that as much as possible has one clear interpretation. And, you know, I love what you talked about, about putting examples in plain language drafting and, you know, using examples to illustrate, to say, this is how it works in practice are such great tools to try and avoid those disputes around contract interpretation. In large outsourcing agreements, you know, around pricing, which was often the area I was working in, there are often worked examples because sometimes you, you feel like, you know, you're trying to explain explain something in all these words and it's like number times other number <laughs> equals 
that thing. <laughs> yeah, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So obviously you've had these negotiations and, and the work that you do now is sort of more broad working with others. How do you feel your experience of negotiation has changed the way that you deal with others more generally? It's going to sound a little repetitive, Nicole, because it's that whole, it's the model I use, which is first of all, engage, like find out where someone's coming from, find out where an individual's coming from, find out where a team's coming from, you know, find out where your organisation is like, where are they? You know, we assume so many things. One of the little uh, models I use, there's a, it's a, a human resources model, which has a triangle and the top is motivation. And then on the left, it has um, skills. And on the right, it has clarity. Okay, so you've got motivation, skills, clarity. We, we almost always assume any problem is motivation. Right? They don't like this. They don't want to do this. They don't like us. They don't like, you know, so it's all in this motivation space. Whereas usually it's around clarity. I don't know what you want. <laughs> You haven't explained what a good outcome is. You don't. You haven't explained any of this. I don't. I'm not clear. Often, when you've explained that, people will tell you if they don't have the skill. And then, if you can help with the skills development, so you've got clarity and skills development, then motivation generally looks after itself. I think that's so, so right, isn't it? But but it comes down to these fun, fundamental failures of communication because we told you what we wanted. We told you all of these things. What do you mean you didn't understand? Yeah. That's exactly right with my clients and my mentoring clients. They go, but I've told them. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> have we checked? Have Communication we checked is a two-way process. I said, have we done the seven times? You know, there's, a, there's that rule of seven times. Have you said something seven times? I prefer something a little less, you know, and I'm telling you again, I'm, telling, I'm like, I don't think that works. It's like, tell me how you understand this. Explain to me how you understand this. Explain how this is working for you, how this isn't working for you. Then I get like, then I'm like, okay, that's what's now I can now I get a better picture. Absolutely. Well, happening. that tell them seven times is just still one way, isn't it? It's there's no it's, feedback, it, it, there's nothing coming back. And you and probably remember those teachers at school where you went, I wish they'd found another way of explaining this because that might be talking about it's exactly like, read it again, read again. Well, I didn't understand it the first three times, so I'm not sure the fourth is going to crack it. Exactly. And so, you know, it's that. Um, it's 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 back to that thing and I guess in this particular role I also look at learning styles and you know behavioral styles and in in and that kind of experience that you bring into things because that's all the context of why something is landing or not landing and so that I I guess as I've got older more and more the beautiful um, quality of curiosity it seems so obvious but he didn't when I was younger. <laughs> I have the answer. Like I have it. I've just got to get people to that answer. <laughs> it's a really difficult challenge, isn't it? And I often say that curiosity is the right mindset for a negotiator. Yeah. Lovely. But it is that difference of moving from where I am the expert and I know everything to being okay, realizing that there's things that I might not know. And the perception of expertise as knowing everything I like to switch it to say the expertise is knowing what are the right questions to ask. Yeah. This has been a really interesting conversation, Virginia. Is there any, any last tip that you'd like to leave that we haven't talked about already in terms of what you think will help people with their negotiations? I guess there's one little area that um, where I learned the hard way about negotiation in a one-on-one -on -one negotiation, you know, where at the point of being offered a job, 
I asked the question, do you have anybody else you're considering for this role? And they went, uh, no. I went, oh, uh, you know, so, so I was thinking, oh, that's nice. I'm not kind of competing with anybody. I didn't think about, well, therefore, what do I want? Is there something that I want at this point that it would be good to put on the table and stay with that power because they this is the point at which you can actually negotiate that because you are in a position of power. Once I'd taken the role, um, that had gone. Yes. That had gone. And when I needed support further down the track and I should have asked for that support up front, it was too late. And so there was a, a big lesson that, you know, while I could see all these things so wisely you know at this big level when it came to my own world there was a bit missing and so I'd encourage uh, individuals to consider you know when they're being interviewed you actually the interviewers don't have all the power absolutely and I think great advice particularly at the moment where um you know and and I think some people have latched onto this but you know in, a, in an employee short market um understanding that and using it wisely um, and using it you know wisely. because we, yes. we, what you're talking about is a situation of negotiation power because the alternatives for the other side aren't great yeah. Um, but using it in a way that is going to get you an outcome without damaging the relationship is that fine yeah. balancing act. Very much. Yes, yes. A great clarification. A very good clarification. <laughs> so, Virginia, thank you very much for your time today. I've enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Um, if people listening to the podcast wanted to reach out and have a chat to you, um, what's yes. the best ways for them to reach out to you? I think the best way, Nicole, is to go to my website. It's www.transformationjourney.com.au. Um, there's some options there to take a scorecard, to book a clarity call with me and find out a little bit about the work I do. My passion is enabling workplaces where people thrive and I love working with leaders to achieve that end. Fantastic. And I'll make sure to put those details in the show notes for everybody as well. So if they haven't caught that, they can look in the notes. So once again, thank you. I've really enjoyed our chat and appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I very much enjoyed our chat too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. If you've taken away some great tips from this episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, view presentations and download resource sheets. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application form. Until the next episode, happy negotiating.